0: To defend his purity, St. Francis of Assisi rolled in the snow. St. Benedict threw himself into a thorn bush. St. Bernard plunged into an icy pond. You? What have you done? To defend your purity. All of this emphasizing the the fact that these great models for us, they're just guys. They're, They're people like us. And the means that they had at their disposal are the same means that we have. And so if they could live, if they could walk like angels in the midst of this world, what's stopping me?
1: Welcome to another Set Apart episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. We are with the Coming Home Network, an apostolate built by and for people who came from various backgrounds into the Catholic Church. You can find us at chnetwork.org. We also have an online community full of people who are on the journey or who have come into the church from other backgrounds, all kind of... Uh, building on each other's experiences and asking each other's questions and answering them in turn. That's community.chnetwork.org. And this program, along with all the things that we make, are made possible by our generous partners in mission. Almost everything we do is free, and it's because of people who have uh, decided to partner with us in this mission. And uh, if you want to join that group of people, uh, Kenny Burchard would happily be able to talk to you and point you towards chnetwork.org/donate. Especially as the end of the year approaches, please do remember us yes. in your end of year giving. Ken, Kenny, how are you? Doing great, doing good, yeah.
2: man. Doing set wonderful. apart to the Lord, <laughs> indeed.
1: And of course, set apart. I mean, that's the the word "holy" means set apart, and that's the word we're going to focus on today, which means that we've got a lot of heavy lifting to do because. When I tell my friends that I'm part of the Catholic Church, sometimes the last word that comes to mind for them is the <laughs> word "holy." So Boy, Kenny, where sure. do we begin today?
2: Yeah, that's actually a really great place to begin matt um we're We're in this long series on the church, and of course we're in the part of the Catechism that discusses the four marks of the church that are oh. outlined um in an expanded way in the Nicene let me see if I can say it the right way, the Nicene. Constantinopolitan creed, which we all say in the liturgy, in the mass. And this identifies the church in that article of faith as one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Well, last time we dealt with the first one that Mm -hmm. the church is one. And so now we're going to the next level and we're saying the church is holy. This, of course, will uh, provoke a variety of responses (laughs) in people. Let's call them intuitive responses in people. And um, so, yeah, you're right, Matt. I was was sharing with Ken yesterday kind of how I want to open this episode. And it's with a reflection on a conversation that I had, you know, before we jump into the catechism. By the way, if you're uh, with us in the catechism, we're looking at paragraphs uh, 823 to 829 today but when when i made it public that i was becoming catholic that i was joining the catholic church i got a variety of responses from people i, I think of one in particular and i was telling ken uh, a man who graduated from the same seminary he was in as me he was in several of my classes we have the exact same degree a degree a master's degree in new testament biblical theology. And it's it's a guy I knew and hung out with. And we had, I would say, a really good uh, friendship. But when he saw on social media that I had become Catholic or that I was becoming Catholic, he sent me a message basically asking me why I would ever do such a thing. And I asked him, well, why? why do you ask? And then he provided me with a litany of let's call them evil. historical offenses committed by catholics and some could even say committed by the catholic ter- church depending on how you you frame you know the issue and he went through all kinds of different stages of church history how can you say you know the creed that you say uh in your mass one holy catholic one you know one holy catholic and apostolic church how can you Catholics use that as a self-referential statement, considering all of these things? Boom, boom, boom! And you went through all the, the typical things that you would would find, um, you know, in anyone's litany of grievances and offenses against the Catholic Church. And um, I mean, I, I listened to that, and I heard it from from lots of different people. And there are some serious things in there that have been done in church history you know, by Catholics. And I said to him and I told Ken this that you left a couple of things out. Um, you left all of the biblical material out <laughs> about all the sinners who were part of the church mentioned in the Bible. There's lots of those. Uh Paul's letters to the churches are often dealing with grievous, grievous, you know, mortal sin happening in those churches and by people who are calling themselves Christians some of them are leaders that have to be corrected and so i said you left out all the biblical material about the sinners in the church in the bible but you also you didn't go far enough in pointing out all of these sinners in the catholic church because there's one that's not on your list and that's me because i've joined the catholic church now so if it was Holy, by virtue of having <laughs> non sinful people in it before I showed up, it sure is ruined now. you know that Kenny <laughs> Burchard has joined the Catholic Church it can if if sinlessness is what we mean by holy, then now the church surely can't refer to itself as holy because I joined you know it.
0: you're making <laughs> me think of something you're making me think of something that Groucho Marx once said. Uh, He said he would never want to belong to a club that would allow him as a member.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, yeah. And so there's that, that tension, right? That tension. How can we say holy with reference to the Catholic church, Um, especially with the visible ecclesiology that we embrace as Catholics?
1: It's such a, such a pervasive thing that, you know, people don't just say this kind of stuff about the Catholic church. People say it about all the mainline denominations. They say Mm -hmm. it about whatever megachurch happens to be going through some pastoral crisis. Uh, There are people who bounce from church to church to church trying to find Mm -hmm. some place that doesn't have a paper trail. Uh, right um right i i like to joke uh that you know people say that catholicism is organized religion it's like well, the most disorganized religion i've been part of so far <laughs> uh and on top of that so much of that bouncing around is a quest mm-hmm. for organized religion like a quest for some place that doesn't have a track record that doesn't have a rap sheet that doesn't have any of those things as a matter of fact so much so uh and uh you know, Ken, you were Catholic long before this became the trend that it has become now. But, you know, a lot of my friends and Kenny, I'm sure a lot of yours, no longer wanted to call themselves Christians. They wanted to call themselves Christ followers because right. even the word Christian had so much baggage attached right. to it because of this whole question, right? This whole question behind it. Like, right. I don't want to associate myself with people who bother me, who are obviously sinful, even if I know I'm sinful myself. Like, yes. Mm-hmm that person's
2: worse and i don't want to be i don't want to be lumped in with them right and and yet you know the thing that that we have to come back to here is that the creed by virtue of this article of faith that the church is one holy catholic and apostolic church in a sense binds us to continue this conversation and holds us you know mm-hmm. kind of holds us down and says you need to think long and hard about this reality that the church is holy and come to the place where you understand and embrace everything that that means. And this is why I'm so grateful that we have, you know, that we have the Catechism to help us on this journey that we're all on. So let me jump in. Then let's look at to begin with paragraph eight two three in the Catechism. Here's what it says: The Church is held as a matter of faith to be unfailingly. Holy. This is because Christ, the Son of God, who, with the Father and the Spirit, is hailed as alone holy, loved the church as his bride, giving himself up for her. So as to sanctify her, he joined her to himself as his body and endowed her with the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. The church, then, is, quote, the holy people of God. And her members are called saints. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll just share a couple of thoughts here and then let you guys take off, and then we'll toss it to Ken for the next paragraph. But this is important, and we've talked about this in other areas as well. For instance, when we talked about Mary being full of grace and and some of the dogmatic teaching of the church about her, and how we came to understand that any virtue that we have as Christians doesn't originate with us. It doesn't come from us. It isn't innate to who we are apart from God. And this is where the catechism begins. It wants us to root our concept of the church's holiness in the right place. And that's in the Holy One, you know, the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By virtue of, now we need some of our previous ecclesiology to unpack this a little bit, but by virtue of the nuptial relationship that the church has with Jesus, by virtue of being one body with him, the church then comes to receive her holiness from Jesus. And in this way, the catechism will not let us, the church's ecclesiology will not let us divorce ourselves from, if I can use the, the language here, our holy bridegroom. He is the one who makes us holy by virtue mm-hmm. of who he is. That's that's not only a status by virtue of our relationship, but also a process, as we're going to see, as mm-hmm. uh, Ken sort of takes the next part, that this image of, of Jesus making the church holy through a process is what's outlined, for instance, in the mm-hmm. book of Ephesians. But that's as much as I'll say on that first piece, and then I'll toss it to you guys.
1: Yeah, the one thing I was just going to add is that this is pulling directly from a passage in Ephesians that's going to come up Mm -hmm. again later. And I just want to read it so that Mm -hmm. you know, if you were to hear what what Kenny just read in isolation and be like, well, that's an awful bold claim for the church to make about itself. I want it to be clear that Mm -hmm. it is pulling it directly. And I'm just going to read, I'll read it out of my NIV because that's what I have handy right now. But Paul says in Ephesians 5, Uh, Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think we're okay with that part, right? Mm -hmm. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Paul's Mm -hmm. talking about baptism, right? And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Mm -hmm. Did anybody ever sing the song, Uh, "Uh, just glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the lamb? Oh yeah! I mean, absolutely. I wouldn't have made this same connection in the same way that the catechism mm-hmm. is making it, but we sang that song all the time because mm-hmm. I think, at least in some sense, we believed that was true. Right? Uh, in my world, in, in the Holiness mm-hmm. movement, of course, we had "Holy" built into the title of the movement I was part of, but we still believe that.
0: Amen. You know um, what I? What I? What I? Blah, 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 blah. What I would like to do here is uh, first of all, apologize for my glasses. You know, I, I just looked at myself in the in the recording and I realized how stupid these glasses I wear every week look. And I just want to say, I buy these at the dollar store. Yeah, Kenny and Matt, I go in there <laughs> and I grab I grab handfuls of these reading glasses for a dollar a piece. And um, you know what? I'm thinking I need to go get my eyes checked and maybe get some prescription ones and ones that look kind of classy and cool because I now I have to quit looking at myself in the thing. Anyway, I think that what I would like to do here at the beginning is um, comment on something that might help with some clarification as we go forward. And that is that in Christian theology and in scripture, the word holy is used in several different ways. Um, for instance, when we speak of someone, uh, you know, in common language, when we speak of someone as being holy or as being a saint, uh, we're, re- we're saying that the person is saintly, um, that they are Christ like. And if they were completely holy and completely saint, uh, saintly, as we will be when we're finally in the presence of God, then uh, that person would be completely sinless. And we're using holiness in that way. But when St. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, for instance, and he, and, and he writes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, Paul isn't saying, you know, I'm writing to all of you people who are sinless in the, in the city of Colossae. Not at all. Uh, He's speaking of them, if you will, as God sees them in Christ, as they are predestined to become in Christ. Listen to how Paul talks in in Colossians chapter 3 as an example. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's, he's, he's speaking in some sense of who they are in Jesus, who they are destined to be in Jesus, even though they are still on this earth and there's still a process, as you said. OK, so the word holy sometimes means sinless or saintly. Sometimes the word holy means uh, is a way of um, expressing who, Christ, who God has made us in Christ and who we are being transformed to become. And then there's even a third way in which the word holy is used, you guys, because sometimes the word holy in scripture is simply used to refer to that which is dedicated to God. And in this way, the altar of sacrifice in the old covenant tabernacle um, it could be said to be, or would, should be said to be holy to the Lord, um, as well as the sacrifices on the altar as well as the pans and utensils and everything used in the process of making these sacrifices, as well as the priest's clothing and the priests themselves, all of these would have been said to be holy to the Lord in the sense that they had been dedicated to the Lord. And so I just wanted to say, we've got at least these three notions floating about in our minds. And when we read where the Catechism says, the part you just read, Kenny, that the church is the holy people of God, and her members are called saints. Um, It isn't saying that this church in the present now is just loaded down with sinless beings, sinless men and women. It's saying something a little different than that. It's saying that this is a people who who have been dedicated to the Lord and who, in Jesus Christ, are predestined to holiness and purity, and it's a work that God has begun in them Um, And then we'll continue to do in them. So that's what I want to throw in before we go to the next paragraph, if you have anything else. Okay, well, I'll just go into uh, paragraph 824 then, which says this, and I'll comment a bit along the way. United with Christ, the church is sanctified by him, through him, and with him, she becomes sanctifying. Okay, a, a, a brief comment here. A common idea among many, many non-Catholic Christians is that the Catholic Church teaches that we somehow perfect ourselves through our own works. You know, as I've mentioned in the series we did on salvation, the pastor John MacArthur referred to the Catholic view of salvation as a damning system of works righteousness. And I just want to comment here. This is false. Listen to what it says. United with Christ the church is sanctified by him through him and with him she becomes sanctifying i think of what saint augustine famously said that that even when god crowns our merits he will be doing nothing other than crowning the work of his own grace within us it's all the work of god's grace and in a previous series i don't remember which one but i used the analogy of farming to illustrate how our cooperation with god's grace functions in the process of sanctification. It, it, it's like how, how our cooperation with God's grace functions in creation. Um, and I use the farming as an illustration, you know, because the farmer goes out into his field, he plows his field up, you know, he does whatever he needs to do. I don't know. I've never been a farmer. He throws his seeds down. He goes in there, you know, he sends out the, you know, the cats to catch the mice or, or whatever, or he puts bug spray everywhere, but oh no, not bug spray. I forgot. Yeah, that's in the old days. He puts, he, he, he puts like completely biodegradable, you know, beautiful chemicals in there to kill the bugs. And he does all this stuff. But unless God sends the sunshine, unless God sends the rain, and God, unless God makes the nutrients within the soil do what they're supposed to do, nothing will grow. And but, but here's the fun part, is that the reverse is also true. God could send all the sunshine He wants, He can send all the uh, nutrients He wants up from the soil, But if the farmer like lays back in his hammock and just says, well, you know, I believe in farming by faith alone or something like that. I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to plow. I'm not going to put any seed. I'm not going to do anything like that. Again, nothing, nothing grows. This is how it is in the created order. And by the way, I could go off on a tangent here because Martin Luther is the one who gave me that illustration. Okay. In the created order, this is how it works. And you can expand out and think of all kinds of scenarios. This is how it works. We do what we do. God's grace produces the fruit. I think of where Paul said, one waters, one plants, but it's God who causes the growth. Okay, but notice here then, the Catechism says that the church is sanctified by him, by Christ, through him, and then with him, she, the church, becomes sanctifying. So God then uses the church to sanctify the world. And then in this passage from the Catechism, it quotes from the Vatican II document, Sacrosanctum Concilium, and this is what it says. All the activities of the church are directed as toward their end to the sanctification of men in Christ and the glorification of God. It is in the church that the fullness of the means of salvation has been deposited. It is in her that by the grace of God, again, we acquire holiness, so we're not talking about works righteousness. We're not talking about a damning system of works. We're not talking about Pelagianism here. Clearly, the Catechism says and repeatedly here that it is by the grace of God that we, the Church, acquire holiness and become and can become a means of holiness to the world. Any comments from you, gentlemen?
2: Yeah, a couple of things there. You know, I think of the Book of Ephesians, for instance, uh, Ken, which is often you know the second chapter, verses eight and nine are often quoted at Catholics by grace, you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It goes on to say that we're created in Christ Jesus, for good works that we should walk in them and um and that God is at work in us, you know in another place, God yeah. is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure, and yet there's this this um, imperative question that has to be asked well how though how is god at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure how being created in christ jesus for these good works do we learn to walk in them is it me and jesus does this happen you know just in a one by one on one relationship well if we listen to Paul's whole argument and the role of the church, which is huge in Ephesians, by the way, the ecclesiology of Ephesians is massive. If you look at chapter 4 and what Paul says about this process of how we learn to do these good works that God created us to do, the church is integral to that. So, for instance, in verse 11 of chapter 4 in the following verses say, so Christ himself gave the apostles. This is going back to, you know, Christ gave these gifts to the church in order to do certain things. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, Christ who? The Anointed and Holy One. So in other words, this is the ecclesiology that says bride, <laughs> bridegroom and bride are working together to see that all the children grow up to become like like Jesus, and the church is integral to that. It's it's ne- and a nece- it is a necessary partner to Jesus in that sanctifying process. So, and this is a good place to just jump into paragraph eight twenty five, which which kind of expands this idea. It says, "Quote the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real though imperfect. In her members, perfect holiness is something." yet to be acquired man there is uh, that's that's a place for an underline and a highlight right there quote strengthened by so many and such great means of salvation all the faithful let me say this right here when the catechism says the faithful it means all the christians <laughs> all the faithful whatever their condition or state though each in his own way are called by the lord to that perfection of sanctity by which the Father himself is perfect. If you're a Bible reader and a Bible memorizer, there should be a couple of verses of Scripture rattling around in your head right now. One of them would be the words of Jesus in which he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. This, is, this has to do with attaining to, the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. So we we should hear in accord with the catechism that God is calling us to become like him, and that that happens as a process, and that he's given each person the call to become like him, but also he's given us the church in order to be that means by which this is practically carried out. And then another verse that ought to be rattling around in our heads if we're Bible memorizers is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, and then one more, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's, that is the requirement that God puts, yes, 1 Peter, the requirement that God puts on all Christians. But not only the requirement, but the graces and the gifts necessary to that end are given to us in and through the church.
0: Now, here's the thing that jumps out to me here, you guys. Here's the thing. Once again, very clearly, the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real, though imperfect. Okay, but now, as I understand it, though, in the holiness tradition that Matt Swain came from, Matt was perfectly sanctified on a in one day, isn't that true, Matt?
1: Oh no, oh no! Can you, There's can you a process that? between that first and second work of grace, Ken. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. you don't get both things in one shot, unless I mean, I suppose. oh well, well, how does heard it work?
0: Okay, how you does get it one work thing in the at the beginning tradition.
1: of the tent revival meeting, and you get one like halfway through it? I'm not sure if you're on the okay. accelerated track. No, but but with the holiness movement, you have like some some stuff that you don't you don't know how to reconcile and. Because there's, well, there's, there's some, well, it's partly because of the way that we use the word holy, but as Kenny was reading here, um, it says that all the faithful, whatever their condition or state, though each in his own way are called by the Lord to that perfection of sanctity by which the father himself is perfect. So what it's saying is that you are already holy, meaning set apart, right? That Mm -hmm. context that you were talking, one of the ways the word holy is used, um, can at the beginning of this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now be wholly the other way (laughs) right exactly Uh, it's so and that's that makes okay so i've been the reason i've been carrying my niv around with me this whole time is because i'm trying to remember how i would have like thought about this because i i'm looking at the things i underlined in the notes that i made and i used to read through and i used to put like a little date whenever i'd read like a chapter and uh apparently i was reading second peter chapter one on november 12th of the year 2000, and I came across this and underlined it and put a question mark next to it. So, St. Peter says, um, and he's talking about kindness, godliness, brotherly love, all these things, and he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's fine, yep. Um, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What? <laughs> so, what What does Peter mean by saying, if you're a bad person, you've forgotten you've been cleansed of your past sins? I mean, in one sense, I would have understood that as backsliding. But in another sense, what Peter's appealing to is the idea, you are set apart. You are holy in the set apart sense. Now be holy mm-hmm. in the other sense because you don't mm-hmm. forget that you were set apart, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's It's- it just fleshes out that idea that i didn't know exactly how to hang all the pieces i didn't have the i didn't have the shelves to put all these things on in in that holiness movement mm-hmm.
0: well you know the, there's a certain trend a very popular trend within certain evangelical circa, cir, circles now that focus so heavily on what's referred to as positional truth you know that you know that yes. in christ i was forgiven in christ i have been sanctified and washed you know, they, they put so much stress on positional truth that they don't even want to talk about that second half. You know, therefore, do it. You know, mm-hmm. you've been washed, therefore, do it. And uh, some, some of them get so um, extreme with this that they become nervous at any commandment, they, they become nervous <laughs> at the thought of, of anything being told to do anything because the focus is so entirely on wait, 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 wait. In Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I'm already perfect. And they just want to think about that all day long. Yeah. Well, um, that's the difference between good. the
1: holiness movement and that is that the holiness is like, tell me every single rule. So I don't accidentally break one of them, you know, because <laughs> right. I'm not supposed to smoke or chew or run around with girls who do like, what else am I not supposed to be doing? Cause I don't want to accidentally yeah. like Cross, yeah, and um, this is
2: this is the classic Catholic and yeah. and the answer yep. to the question, do you Catholics believe in positional holiness uh or you know practical holiness? And our answer just has to be yes. <laughs> because yeah. because the Bible teaches both, our intuitive answer is to embrace both. And here's what the the Bible and the Catechism are both saying about our sanctity or our sanctification as Christians, is that, yes, we do have a position, a status, if you will, before God, but that status is really a call to a lifestyle uh, that we we live into as followers of Jesus. And it's different. I like how the Catechism Mm -hmm. says, look, (laughs) in a sense, everybody's different and we all have different sins, and that's going to require a path to holiness that's going to look in some ways similar for all of us, but in other ways, very different.
1: Yeah, I always feel better about myself when I see people struggle with things that I don't struggle with. You know, I'm like, man, <laughs> sucks to be them. Okay. Glad I'm not tempted oh. to that one, but you know, oh. we all got our path.
0: Okay, let me move into paragraph 826. Let's 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 roll forward. In paragraph 826 now, what the Catechism does is it, it moves deeper for us into describing what lies at the heart of true holiness. And this is what it says. I'm reading now. Charity, love, is the soul of the holiness to which all are called. It, that is love, charity, governs, shapes, and perfects all of the means of sanctification. Now, w- when I read this, of course, the first thing I think, I immediately think of Jesus saying that all of the moral commandments, all the commandments of God can be summarized in this one, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And I also thought immediately of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, talking about faith, hope, and love. He says, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. Okay, so the Catechism is saying, you want to know what holiness is at its core. You, you want to dig down and ask the question, what is, the, what is at the heart of holiness? And what it says is love. Charity is the soul of the holiness to which we are called it governs all that we do it shapes (laughs) and it perfects all of the means of sanctification. It it, it does all of this. Now here's how St. Therese of Lisieux reflected in her autobiography on this idea. This is quoted in the catechism. So I'm including this. This is how she reflected on this idea that the soul of holiness must be love quoting St. Therese. If the church was a body composed of different members It couldn't lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart and a heart burning with love. That's the heart of it. Mm -hmm. No pun intended there. That's the heart Mm -hmm. of it. And I realized, uh, quoting from St. Therese again, and I realized that this love alone was the true motive force which enabled the other members of the church to act. If it, that is love, ceased to function, okay? If love ceased to function in the body of Christ, the apostles would forget to preach. (laughs) They wouldn't care. Remember how Paul says the love of Christ compels us in his ministry? Well, if love ceased to function in the body, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. That's true. If not for love, they would refuse. Mm -hmm. If, If someone comes to you and says, I'm going to burn you alive now, You're going to refuse unless your heart is really on fire with love for Christ, for the truth, for all mankind. So, I mean, back to quoting St. Therese, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Love, in fact, is the vocation which includes all others. Wow, that's a heavy, that's a deep statement. Love is the vocation which includes all others. It's a universe of its own comprising all time and space it is eternal yeah that's all i'm going to say on that paragraph anything you'd like to throw in
1: i mean just that she's riffing on saint paul who in colossians 3 talks about all these virtues and says and on top of all this put on love which binds them all together in perfect (laughs) unity (laughs) right Yeah. Um, yeah it even comes back to that concept of oneness that we covered last time around I mean love is this is this factor that uh allows us to use a word
2: like holy it's also the the word that allows us to use a word like one yeah amen you know I like where the catechism goes next guys in paragraph 827 cuz I'm sitting here thinking like okay now we got to put handles on this you know what i might ask by way of an introductory question to 827 Okay, what does this holy church look like in the world then? Like, If we glance over at her being herself, being what she's really like, what Mm -hmm. are we going to see? What kind of church are we going to see? And this is really the answer uh, that 827 gives us a a picture of all of these aspects that we've talked about. Let me read it. It says this. Christ, holy, (coughs) innocent, and undefiled, knew nothing of sin, but came only to expiate the sins of the people. The church, however, okay, look look over at her now. Let's see. Here's mm-hmm. Jesus, holy, expiating sin. Now look mm-hmm. over at his bride. The catechism pushes our eyes over. The church, however, clasping sinners to her bosom, at once holy and always in need of purification, mm-hmm. follows constantly the path of penance and Renewal. So you get this idea of the perfect bridegroom and the bride in process, walking Mm -hmm. next to her, gathering up sinners into her bosom along the way, being filled with sinners, as it were. And through this relationship with Jesus, doing some transformational work inside of the lives of each of these people. Mm -hmm. So then it says all members of the church, including her ministers, must acknowledge that they are sinners. In everyone, the weeds of sin will still be mixed with the good wheat of the gospel until the end of time. Hence, the church gathers sinners already caught up in Christ's salvation, but still on the way to holiness. Let me read this last part of this paragraph, and then I want to tell you a little bit, Matt, about a, a Google experiment that Ken and I did yesterday on this note. It says, The church is therefore holy though having sinners in her midst because she herself has no other life but the life of grace. If they live her life, her members are sanctified. If they move away from her life, mm-hmm. they fall into <clears throat> sins and disorders that prevent the radiation of her sanctity. This is why she suffers and does penance for those offenses of which she has the power to free her children through the blood of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So yesterday, as we were reflecting on this together, Ken and I, in front of our laptops, I said, hey, let's Google a couple of things. So I Googled, how often does Pope Francis go to confession? I put that in Google. If you're watching, do it now. And up (laughs) at the very top of the page, it says um, twice a month. It's like that's the Google answer. And this is because Pope Francis himself has said, you know, as a sinner, in fact, that's how he introduced himself when he was beginning to be Mm -hmm. interviewed back in the day when he got on the radar. Who are you? Who's this? Who is this person? You know, and he said, a sinner. And he goes to confession twice a month. So you know that even the Holy Father, who is Mm -hmm. caught up in this reality of what the church is, says to another priest, what his sins are and requires absolution for those sins. And then we googled how often did Pope John Paul II go to confession? And it said, every week. But not only that, there there's this language here that the church herself, you, you might say, as an institution or as the visible presence of Jesus in the world, has to publicly take responsibility for his, you know, the sins of of her past and maybe even of her present and suffer for those sins and do penance because of those Mm -hmm. sins uh, because she's in this Mm -hmm. state of uh, of having this holy status, but also still being filled with sinful people. And so, you know, for my part, it doesn't surprise me when I find myself one of these sinners on the way uh, to, you know, the fullness of, of God's grace and goodness it doesn't surprise me to see fellow sinners in the church. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I actually knew that one about John Paul II. I wasn't sure about the numbers on Francis or Benedict. Uh, it'd be interesting to go back over time and do like a chart, you know, as far back yeah. as you can get people on you know, I Googled, they went.
0: You know, I Googled, uh, I Googled how often does Kenny Burchard go to confession and there, there's nothing in Google. I just there's, to nothing there. there's, just, <laughs> there's
1: nothing there. There's nothing there. But anyway, <laughs> Look,
0: you know what? But, when I think but, of this subject, I, the only thing I really want to add is this. You know how in the study of eschatology, we will, we'll, we'll talk about how the kingdom is here, but not yet. The yes. kingdom is now, but yes. not yet. There's always, it, it, this is another variation on the, the both and, you know, kind of conception. But the kingdom is here in this world. But it's not fully consummated it's not here it's not here entirely yet and it's the same thing with with this um issue of holiness and i i think that we've seen a hint of it in almost every paragraph that we've read so far this hint of now but not yet there's a sense in which the church is holy now it is devoted to God. is dedicated to God in Christ because of his forgiveness and his washing us clean. Ezekiel 36, I will wash you clean because he gives us, he takes out our hearts of stone and he gives us new hearts in regeneration because he puts his spirit within us and causes us. We're holy, but not yet. You know, the, mm-hmm. our, our holiness is now, but not yet. And, and we just see this again, really in every paragraph. So, you know, impossible to say that That Catholic theology is pelagian um because no it's as purely biblical, just as Paul said, you know- well, you quoted a many passages a little while ago, where you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do there's the both and one waters, one plants, but God causes the growth all the way through there's the both and it's not Pelagianism. it's not works righteousness, and um you know the the balance is purely New Testament.
1: Yeah, there's two sentences in that paragraph that really just highlight this so well. In that paragraph, eight twenty-seven, they're worth underlining in your catechism. The line that says that the church is at once holy and always in need of purification, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then that line, the, the just a couple of sentences later. If they live her life, her members are sanctified. Mm. If they move away from her life, they fall into sins and disorders that prevent the radiation of her sanctity. This helps me also make sense of like, oh, let's say you read a headline where, you know, Father Smith embezzled thousands of dollars from Sacred Heart Parish or something. Uh, So, somebody might say, oh, the Catholic Church is blah, 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 blah. You know, I think that's terrible what they did. You know who else thinks it's terrible what Bob did, Father Bob did? The Catholic Church thinks it's terrible too. This is a person who is a member of the church who has, as this paragraph clearly indicates, right, um, is not living that life, not moving towards that life, right? When you move away from what the – I mean, and we just see example of of example. When people live closer to the life of the church, right, what the church is asking from them. It's great, but when they move away from it, things are terrible, which is why if you want to know what the yeah. Catholic church is, uh, I mean, you can look around and pick any sinner that you want. It would not take you very long. I think John Mullaney, the comedian says, mm. you know, he was dating a girl and she found out he was Catholic. He's like, don't Google us, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs>
2: it does not take long. Yeah.
1: But if you want to know what the Catholic church is meant to be and is aiming toward, look at the saints, Mm -hmm. look at the ones who are actually doing what the program says. Like if that's, that's going to be your picture of what the Catholic church is trying to get everybody to do.
0: And that's paragraph 828. Shall I walk into it?
2: Do it. Walk right in.
0: Yeah. Because it follows so naturally that your comments just followed naturally into the saints. Paragraph 828 of the catechism by canonizing some of the faithful, that is, by solemnly proclaiming that they practiced heroic virtue and lived in fidelity to God's grace. The church recognizes the power of the spirit of holiness within her. So once again, it's not them. Again, it's not Pelagianism, it's not works right. What the church is recognizing when it canonizes some of the faithful, it's recognizing the power of the spirit of holiness within her and sustains the hope of believers by proposing the saints to them as models and intercessors, and let me finish quoting, and then I'll com- comment on this. And then quoting from John Paul II, the saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult moments in Church's history. Indeed, the holiness, I and mean, indeed, holiness is the hidden source and infallible measure of her apostolic activity and missionary zeal. Okay, a couple of things here, but first of all, I, I want you to notice once again, the church is recognizing that when she solemnly proclaims someone to have lived this life of virtue, proclaims him to be a saint in heaven. We are not looking at a work salvation or Pelagian kind of idea. We're not saying, wow, this person lifted himself up by his own bootstraps. What an awesome guy he was or what an awesome woman she was. The church is recognizing the power of the spirit of holiness within her again ezekiel 36 i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and be careful to keep my statutes it's god's power okay Mm -hmm. secondly second point i want to draw from this is that it is saints who have been the source the catechism says have been the source and origin of renewal throughout the church's history think of them a few a few of them saint francis of assisi saint dominic St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the cross, St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Therese, the little flower, St. Philip Neri of Rome. It is the saints throughout church history that have been the origin of renewal, the source and the origin of all renewal in the church. And this is what we need in the church now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is why, you know, uh, well, I'll come back to that in a second. Let me make this other point first. Um the, so this passage is is emphasizing that it's the power of the spirit of holiness within us that is being recognized when the church canonizes someone. And then to also remember that the saints have been the source and the origin of renewal always throughout church history. And then thirdly, uh we're told in this paragraph that by giving us these models of holiness, the saints the canonized our hope is sustained that we too could be changed <laughs> that we too we too could be remolded into the image in which we were created it could happen to us it could happen in us if we cooperated with god's grace as these others have done now before i throw it to you i understand there's a few points here you might want to comment on. before i throw it to you though you know the other day i was reading the chapter on holy purity in Saint Jose Maria Escriva's classic, The Way. And here are are a couple of points that just jumped off the page and that I think fit right here, okay? in thinking about the canonized saints as models for us. Uh, Number 133. the, The book The Way is a bunch of numbered points of spiritual direction. Point 133. The saints were not abnormal beings. Cases to be studied by a modernistic doctor. They were, they are normal of flesh like yours, and they won. That's something to think about. Paragraph 122, many live like angels in the midst of the world. Why not you? Good question. I mean, do do the saints have any means of sanctification that we don't possess? Do they have any secret means that we don't have? No, they was all they they were normal people using the normal means that we have within the church. Okay, then one forty three, number one forty three, to def- to defend his purity, Saint Francis of Assisi rolled in the snow, Saint Benedict threw himself into a thorn bush, Saint Bernard plunged into an icy pond. You? What have you done to defend your purity? All of this emphasizing the the fact that these great models for us, they're just guys. They're people like us. And the means that they had at their disposal are the same means that we have. And so if they could live, if they could walk like angels in the midst of this world, what's stopping me is the question that's being asked.
2: As I listen to you share that, I think of this, this idea that contemplating the the life of the saints is a Catholic impulse because it's a biblical impulse, and you can find not only in, in the Old testament uh lists of holy people given by writers of scripture but it's it's the um the proud tradition of the writer of Hebrews to kind of give us this device mm-hmm. of considering the lives of those who've gone before us and so it doesn't surprise us for instance to show uh to see this show up for instance in the um, um, St. Clement's letter to the Corinthians, this uh, the fourth pope of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, who, when correcting the church at Corinth, part of his correction, his redirection, away from their wayward way of living was to call to mind the holy... Christians who had won, as you, as Saint Jose Maria Mm -hmm. said, and he calls them to mind, and he lists them and tells their stories, and then, and then the last thing I'll say on this, this Catholic impulse, which is a biblical impulse to think about the saints, and why it's in the Catechism when we think about this tension that we have of sinful people in the church, I go back to one of the earliest Christian writings um, in circulation, in some ways, uh, in some. Uh, Regard before certain biblical texts. And this is the Didache, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, says this, And thou shalt seek out day by day the faces of the saints, in order that thou mayest rest upon their words. And so early in the church's life, because of what we see in Scripture, and because we are these pilgrims on this journey— we're encouraged while we see sinners and ourselves being among them to think of those who won and to think about their lives and to follow in their footsteps as they were following Jesus.
1: You know, you mentioned uh, people like St. Benedict who, you know, started Western monasticism and essentially saved civilization with the Roman empire is falling apart. Right. Or Francis who rebuilt the church as it were, uh, both kind of literally and figuratively in that era and started this whole movement of friars. Um, but I also think about people like, uh, a personal favorite of mine is servant of God, Julia Greeley, um, who is buried in Denver's Sacred Heart Cathedral and is, I hope she will be canonized in my lifetime. She's an incredible, incredible story. She was born into slavery. She had one eye permanently damaged from the whip of a, of a slave master, um, but had this beautiful uh, faith that radiated through her. And she was kind of known to go through the streets, carrying a wagon, collecting things and, Uh, She would deliver things to people in secret because she knew that some of the poor people that uh, she was going to try and help would be too proud to have someone see them, Mm -hmm. you know, receive that charity, especially from Mm -hmm. someone who used to be a slave, right? So this incredible heart of charity and when she died and her funeral took place scads and scads of people showed up to this funeral and they were all like, wait, you knew her too? (laughs) You know, like the the church is full of saints like that as well who have these invisible, powerful witnesses that, you know, you mentioned St. Therese who's quoted all over the catechism. Like nobody even knew she was like a big deal until after she was dead and people got a hold of her diaries. Like there are all these hidden examples as well. Um, Those who won, I love that phrase Mm -hmm. because it it does- it does they were tell you that like, yeah. They
0: were normal I, when and, normal men. And the other and quote that won. comes
1: to mind um is GK Chesterton who talks about how like all sinners are alike, man. They're just like uncreatively living by impulse, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can go through the news and uh, the six o'clock news and you're, you know, the six and 11, right? It's going to be the same dumb crimes by the same dumb things. This person did drugs and shot somebody. This person like, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's all the same stuff. The saints, man. It's yeah. like- yeah these no. radiantly different uh, explosive images of grace don't judge the church by me judge it by julia Greeley. <laughs> you know judge no. it by people well, like you, that. you know
0: as they say don't don't judge a medicine by those who don't take it you know that i'm thinking of that passage that says those who do live by the church you know s- succeed and those who don't you know have, have problems judge yeah. a medicine by those who use it now yeah. um before I throw it over to Kenny for the last paragraph here today, just had one more quotation from St. Jose Maria that I wanted to read because this passage on the canonization of saints, it emphasizes, it emphasizes to, to summarize again, the power of the work of God's spirit in his people. And also the fact that, that the saints have been the origin and the source of all renewal in the toughest times in church history. And then thirdly, that they provide for us models and and these models give us hope. The the word hope, I believe, was in there. I'm looking at back right now. They, yeah, it it, it sustains the hope of believers by proposing the saints to them as models and intercessors. Uh, here's the final quotation that I want to make from uh, that I want to read from Saint Jose Maria Escriva. Now, this is number three zero one in the way where he says a secret, an open secret. These world crises are crises of saints. God wants a handful of men and women of his own in every human activity. And then, Pax Christi and Regno Christi, the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. That's what he wants. A few that belong to him, a few that are his own in every avenue, every walk of life, then will come the peace of Christ and the kingdom of Christ.
2: Amen. Go ahead, Kenny. That's good. We got to bring it in for a landing, and this is an important place to land in this theme of um, the holiness of the church. And so we come to paragraph 829 now. And from a Catholic perspective, this is the natural place to go, though maybe from a Protestant perspective and in my previously formed evangelical mind, this would have been strange to me. But listen, and then we'll all together here share some insights about why this is where the catechism ends with its reflection on the church's holiness. It says, paragraph 829, quote, but while in the most blessed virgin, the church has already reached that perfection, whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle, the faithful still strive to conquer sin and increase in holiness. And so they turn their eyes to Mary. In her, the church is already the all holy. Close quote. Now, there may be people who've been listening to this going, man, I really like this. I like the way you Catholics are talking about the church. Yeah, I can then, get with this. And then, here, here you go now talking about Mary. Let me just share a couple of th- things here that were really helpful to me. And I think this is so right for us to end here. Just a little snippet, a little sentence, less than a sentence, from Pope Benedict XVI in his book, Daughter Zion, in the section in which he talks about the bodily assumption of Mary into the heavenly places at the moment of her dormition or her death or bodily assumption. And he has this little phrase in here that is so important. Let me read it. It's real quick, so stick with me. Here's what it says. This name, Mary, stands for the church itself, for its definitive salvation. Now, what in the world (laughs) is Pope Benedict saying? by saying this name, Mary, stands for the church itself. Here's how I would respond to that or unpack that with someone who's having a trouble with how this ends. The Catholic faith is not a faith of um, articles, even though we have articles of faith. It's not a faith of syllogisms. It's not a faith of formulas. It's a faith of what happens in, in the lives, the real lives of actual human beings who live mm-hmm. in the world and who go through everything that people go through in the world and the choices that they make and the ways in which they live in the world and then what happens to them like much of what we've unpacked today together guys is about that and about the two ways you know and and what happens to both kinds of people and what pope benedict does here is he says in a sense the faith the christian faith which Brings about the total holiness of the human person, otherwise separated from God and without hope. That that work of God's grace has come to its fullness of realization in a human being. Boy, don't we need something like that? Don't we need a human example of where all this grace, this fullness of grace, has come to its full eschatological fulfillment? And the and the Catechism is saying. This has happened for one of us. It's Mm -hmm. happened. It has happened by one of us through Jesus, who became uh, like us in every way except with respect to sin, but also to one of us, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who has been brought into the fullness of wherever this faith is taking us, so that she comes to stand in one person for all of us so that whatever we can say about Mary and where she went and where she is now is really God's destiny for all of the church, so that we can all say what Paul says in Ephesians, um, that the church is seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. That's not just an abstraction in Catholic thought. That's an embodied reality in the person of Mary and in everyone who's with Jesus now in the heavenly places and that's as much as I'll say. Very, I'll very, it
0: well, that's enough. I mean, because that was very well, yeah, very well said. When I think of Mary, when I think of the logic of these paragraphs, okay, I, I don't have them all in my mind, but basically the church is holy. Her holiness comes from Christ, her, her bridegroom. Mm-hmm. The tr- while being holy, the church pursues holiness. So it's now, mm-hmm. but not yet. And now mm-hmm. let me give you some examples of the saints, you know, mm-hmm. the pe- people who have, have taken all the means that are available to us within Christ's church, His bride, and have used them and have won. Um, but you know, we need an exhibit A, though, of the final product. You know, yes, and that's why this exactly. paragraph, this paragraph, comes la- last. It, it, it's like in a courtroom. And it's like let's haul out. Exhibit A, finally, and say here is what I'm talking about in concrete. And I love the fact that you began by saying that Christianity is not a formula, and it's it, it's not a syllogism. It's not a, it's it's about a real it's about a real life. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I, about the I've about lost the ability thing. to
0: say anything better. It's about the real thing. Okay. So yeah, Exhibit A. That was great. That was great.
1: There- there's a great insights video at the Coming Home Network website. Uh, Father Michael Rainier talks about this concept of, of Mary, motherhood, and the church and how they all sort of fit together in these images. And, you know, what is the church called to do as the body of Christ, but also in her individual members? We're called to, um, to hear the gospel, right? To receive it with joy, uh, you know, to let it grow within us, to bear it forth to the world. Right, uh, then you know we are to be with Christ at the cross, and then at the end of all things, be with Him bodily in heaven. This is the whole story of the church. The yeah. thing is that all those things actually happened to Mary. Like, yeah, I was going to say you're a tricky guy.
0: I was going to say you're <laughs> a tricky guy. I, Once I, know I started where you're going, going right? with this,
1: <laughs> exactly like yeah. all those things that the church is supposed yeah. to do, Mary actually did. Like she received the gospel with joy, bore it, let it grow within her, receive Christ you Know, was with him at the cross, and yeah. and you know, so so when the church kind of brings it in for a landing here, the church wants you to, to connect those dots, uh, yes. in a very clear yeah. way,
0: yeah, wonderful. So, okay, I'm all right. done,
1: all right. Well, then I guess if you're done,
2: then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just done. I you have reached else. your full eschatological conclusion. <laughs> there you yes. go. Uh,
1: well, yes. that's a heavy one, but it's a good one, and you yeah, know, we yeah, actually. Yeah. If you think this one's heavy, stay tuned to the next couple because we're going to get into that third mark of the church. The church is Catholic. Catholic. And that's where everybody's yeah. going to get real excited. So uh, stay tuned <laughs> for that. In the meantime, if you want to watch other episodes of On the Journey, specifically this series on the church, it's all at chnetwork.org. Uh, you can go back and watch those. You can watch the other series we've done as well on baptism, um, even the one on Mary. Uh, but you can also join our online community. It's a great place to connect with others, including Ken and Kenny and I. Um, Go to community.chnetwork.org to do that. And I want to remind you also that we try and make these things free to anybody who comes asking for help and and, uh, with questions. And we're only able to do that because of our generous partners and mission who make these things possible. If you want to join them and become a partner in putting this kind of thing together, please do reach out to us, chnetwork.org slash donate. You can make a one-time or recurring gift. And with the end of the year coming, those end of year gifts are a huge blessing to us. So, gentlemen, thank you again as always.
2: We'll see you next time around. Amen. See you later, guys.